all of the virtues, you know, the positive qualities that we admire in our heroes. Those are there and available for all of us freely in the universe at no cost or price except... Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these. But did you know that the U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut. If you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right, cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And there are no fees, period. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. So many of us love coffee, like the living for it type of love. Some like it hot, some like it iced with a splash of creamer, and some like it with a cold foam topping. Many of us stop into coffee shops on our way to work more often than we'd like to admit. But now, thanks to International Delight Cold Foam Creamer, you can make cold foam coffee at home, or in my team's case, in the office, and it's a game changer. I was just chatting with a teammate of mine about our love for the occasional sweet treat coffee. Sometimes, it's just the thing you need as a pick-me-up on a busy day and we just stocked our office fridge with international delight cold foam creamer and it never misses the team's favorite flavor so far is the caramel macchiato you just shake the canister and spray it into your coffee and voila you've got an incredible cold foam coffee no frothing fancy machines or mess required international delight cold foam creamer foams and creams your coffee from top to bottom the best part it works on both hot and iced coffee it comes in three foaming delicious flavors french vanilla sweet and creamy and caramel macchiato so you can switch things up depending on your mood look for your favorite flavor next time you're at your grocery store and be prepared to say goodbye to your barista international delight cold foam creamer it's foaming delicious so why did you decide to want to start teaching about leadership from the inside out at business school how did that come about, uh, yeah. first off? Well, you know, there is, as always, an outer story and then an inner story, <laughs> you know. So the outer story is that we do, in business school, you know, have an aspiration for students to also learn how to, like, engage and have impact, you know, in terms of how do you inspire people and turn people around in moments of adversity and direct people and shape people and grow people and, you know, all of that. Um, but, you know, I felt that... Shouldn't the journey of that like leadership aspirant begin from within mm. so that you first start to know how to inspire yourself and change yourself and grow yourself and direct yourself and advance your own self you know, right. in times of adversity in other ways. And so, so that became uh, the official positioning you know, of the class that this is right. filling a missing core 
in the journey of uh, someone you know aspiring for the mantle of leadership sure. which is that let's uh, let's focus first on getting you to a good place before you then help others get to a good place mm-hmm. now the inner story behind that though is that um i was very drawn to inner mastery from a very young age um i remember being about 9 or 10 when my parents i saw a fairly significant shift happen in their life as they started to mm. investigate and pursue kind of like spiritual growth for themselves and pretty much around the same time for me these questions started to become paramount you know which is uh, what's the meaning of life and what's my connection with the universe and that star out there yeah yeah you know is it talking to me you know at, at night yeah. when when i i feel a mystic connection with it and is my family my only family what about, what about all these other people i mean you know mm-hmm. shouldn't they be as deserving of my love as as the ones that i happen to be born into you know in the family so these kinds of questions what happens after death you know and all that and um Now India is uh, uh, that way uh, you know a place with so much wealth because truth seekers from ancient times have been studying these kinds of questions have written all kinds of scriptures and you know practices that are put out there that we could so I could access and tap a lot of that you know from there and so when I started to you know get more academic and school and uh-huh. after that I think what my major in college I thought like psychology you know I'm, I'm going to study that because I really wanted to dive further into the human condition but i also started to find that at that time now i'm referring back to the 1980s mm-hmm. the psychology of that era was more focused on the dark states of the human mind the dark states yes like like you know, what schizophrenia uh-huh. and, and depression and, and bipolar uh, yeah uh, and the psychology of evil and you know mm-hmm. bipolar and all of that and while i you know really respect and applaud those um researchers and scientists who really invested in helping to support those people in great pain i was really more interested in kind of like what you do louis right positive like psychology, psychology of yeah. like greatness and yes. genius and creativity and joy and right. harmony and all of that and i just didn't see much of that there so i at that time pursued my academic sort of degree in in mathematics which was also one of my, my great loves and i continue to practice this inner mastery part more as a personal investigation just my own kind of like spiritual spiritual and personal practice uh, and so these two tracks for me got very split hmm. uh the unofficial inner personal track and the official outer like pseudo glory track and so fast forward i graduate from college i come to the united states i do my graduate degree as i go and start working in business and these two tracks just getting more and more separated and so when i came to colombia I had made a pledge to myself that I need to find a way to bring more harmony and mm-hmm. integration you know across like all parts of me not just kind of have have these be very separate pursuits. Right. And so this class really was an excuse and a platform for me to kind of like figure myself out. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> really. That's the unofficial inner story. Okay, cool. So that started what 15 years ago with this, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, what has been the biggest uh i guess discovery you've had in the last 15 years of teaching but also learning and researching while you're teaching yeah about inner mastery and outer impact yeah i think i think my greatest uh, learning has been consistent with uh you know a podcast that uh in my own very very small way you know that i, I i've started uh you know which uh, louis I'd, i'd love to have you on it on this let's do it yeah yeah, yeah. let's right. do it i'm in yeah thank you it's called intersections Uh-huh. and i think that's in some ways my biggest discovery that we tend to artificially split you know our life into different boxes you know the personal and the professional the official and the unofficial the public and the private 
the scientist in us and the spiritualist in us, uh, the inner and the outer, you know, all of that. But actually, they're all meant to be unified. You know, mm-hmm. that uh, if we are able to discover, you know, something that I call in my book, you know, our inner core, mm-hmm. you know, the truest part of who we are from within, and uh, really aspire to let it shine through in everything we do, then yes. suddenly, like, all these boundaries dissolve. The inner becomes the outer, the outer becomes the inner. One is a reflection of each other. Right. So that's been the common theme that you've been consistent yes. with. Inner core. And what does the inner core mean? The inner core, to me, is the space of highest potential. Right? So uh, in everything that you talk about and do, it's kind of where you're seeking to direct your audience mm-hmm. you know, yeah. to, which sure. is that within you lies a place where you are beyond ego, you're beyond attachments, you're beyond insecurities, you're deeply committed to some kind of noble, uplifting, heroic purpose. You're connected, you know, with life, with nature, with people. Yes. You are curious and open to new learnings. You are very centered in a joyous, intuitive spirit, you know, that arises from the very core of your being. And you're also very committed to just uh, opening yourself up to truth. In whichever form it comes. Yes. You know, sometimes in a way that is comfortable, sometimes uncomfortable, sometimes expected, sometimes unexpected, from any quarter. Inklings that arise from within, as well as knocks that you get from the outside. Sure, sure. All of that is the universe just talking to you, just saying, hey, my daughter, my son, wake up, wake up. Mm. I want you to come closer, closer to truth. Yes. And so that state where you and I, and we can kind of access and operate from that place of grace within you know, that's that's what I call you know your core, and of course you know then the ground realities hit us and we drift in and out of that state. You uh, know, yeah, sometimes yeah. much more out than in. Sure, sometimes sure. for days or months or years. But it's funny, you know, we, we're living in such a polarized time today, right? Painfully so, in the state of politics and society mm-hmm. and you know the geographic tensions and what have you. But. I've been privileged and blessed, right, at Columbia and then in other environments like organizations that we serve at my Mentora Institute to, you know, offer up these kind of conversations and trainings and teachings to a diversity of people from right. all faiths and you know, gender and, you know, uh, ethnicity, everything, political and other kind of sympathies they might have. I've never found a, any person who disagrees with me on this thesis that, yes, there is some part of me that is actually pretty amazing and awesome and special. I kind of get glimpses of it now and then. Uh-huh. And then I like lose touch with it from <laughs> right, time right, right. to time. <laughs> in, the dr- right. in the drift. Yeah, yes. exactly. So that's that's what I call the core. You know, a lot of people are, are talking about trying to find abundance in their either career, their financial journey, their business, and also in their personal inner core. What have you discovered in the last, you know, couple of decades about how to create abundance in your life. Yeah, oh, abundance is a beautiful thing, beautiful thing. And I, and hats off to you, Lewis, for what, A, you have done to manifest it in Thank your you. own life. Thank you. To be a living exemplar. It is not lost on me. It is not lost on me that um, here I am striving and seeking to, in some ways, you know, codify, you know, whatever you might call truth in whichever form. Uh-huh. But you, you live it, right? So uh, Thank you. I'm, I'm grateful for that. The thing that I have been most inspired by is how there is a capacity in this universe for any and all of us to connect with and channel boundless 
boundless blank. You can call it boundless love, boundless wisdom, boundless strength, mm -hmm. boundless joy. Um, all of the virtues, you know, the positive qualities that we admire in our heroes. Um, those are there and available for all of us freely in the universe at no cost or price except the price and requirement of surrender and attunement. Atonement or attun attunement? Attunement. attunement, yeah. Surrender and attunement, what does that mean? When we recognize that what we are seeking, what we are searching for, you know, to be going on a meaningful hero's journey, inspired to deliver consistently our best, be in a state of just joy and boundless love and strength and all of that, as opposed to being qualities that we need to either acquire from the outside through our, let's say, material attainments, uh, power, prestige, fame, wealth, mm. what have you, uh, or through, um, you know, certain strengths that we want to build in ourselves by cultivating you know, certain new skills and qualities, yes. like in AI or medicine or what have you. And I'm not saying that any of this is wrong. This is beautiful. You know, all of these outer quests are beautiful, but they become even more meaningful when we can integrate them with the notion that anytime we actually advance in those ways, all we are doing is actually awakening ourselves to that infinite abundant wealth that was always who we were at our core. Mm. But these are just the outer material expressions or the intellectual expressions or the creative expressions or who we are at the very core of our being. And you know, this might sound a little bit sort of hokey pokey, you know, to some of us who are, let's say, more skeptical, mm -hmm. more scientific, have that kind of like mathematical mind, which says like, hey, Tenbra, you know, Lewis, prove it to me. Like, well, right, what's the right. logic? What's the math in that, right? Um, and so I, I want to be able to speak to that sensibility. Yes. Can I yes. do that for yes, a moment? Yes, please. Because otherwise it looks like I'm going out on the leap here. Sure, right? yeah, 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 yeah. So um, what is the science behind this? To some extent, science is starting to emerge. In other words, today there has been, as opposed to in those 1980s and 90s when I was hungering for the science, so I want to study it. Today in the last about 15, 20 years, there has been an explosion of science on the power of things like appreciation and gratitude mm -hmm. and compassion mm -hmm. and mindfulness and meditation and resilience and what have you. Yes. Now these are timeless truths that have been coded into the scriptures of faceless truth seekers of the past. And so unlike, for instance, the physical sciences, right, where actually they are often yielding new inventions to us, new things that we discover about a drug that we can formulate in a lab or a new kind of rocket that we can send to outer space. This science of human nature is actually, for the most part, not discovering a whole lot of new things. It is merely revalidating right. the purest of the pure truths of the scriptures yes. of the past, right? Um, and so that to me is fascinating that it's actually emerging, guys. And if there are some things that I might say or you might say which aren't fully yet grounded in science, let's be humble enough to recognize that actually a lot of this stuff or gratitude appreciation was not known to scientists 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. They discovered it today. Who knows what they're going to discover in another 15, 20, 30, right. 40, 100 years. So one thought experiment I'd encourage any of us to conduct is imagine the science of the next 100 years and you're looking back 100 years from now. What are things that we may be able to access today 
but which haven't yet been scientifically proven, yes. but which will get at that time. Now, right. you and I will be probably dead by then. So would we have right. wanted to live with that regret <laughs> that we never tapped into this just because mm. the science of our time hadn't proven it, right? So, so that's, that's one thought. But the other is, I find that people are in some ways living museums. You know, They are living sort of examples of truth. And so I've been very drawn to studying, you know, the human lived journeys of, of some of these truths. And this idea that we just talked about, this abundance that lies, you know, right at the very core of a being and the, you know, attunement, attunement and the, therefore, the sense of surrender with which you put your ego aside, mm. you put your own noise aside, you put your own ideas aside and let pure truth just you know, come intuitively in the calmest of moments to you. Yes. Um, that is something that I've studied and um, happily discovered Picasso to talk about, Puccini, you know, as a great like you know, opera composer to talk about, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Shakespeare to talk about, um, Einstein to talk about. So some of the greatest creative minds have, in their own ways, stumbled into these realizations that I don't create. I, almost in a mystical way, create a certain state of ardor or hunger within me to aspire for, you know, higher achievement. Yes. And I train myself in the ways of my discipline. So Einstein physics and Puccini music and Picasso in art. So I train myself and I create this ardor and hunger within me. And then I live with this belief that mm. someone else will paint through me, which is almost like Picasso's Someone else's what? Will paint through me. Paint or play or, yeah, or create yeah, yeah, play, play through me. Yeah, create through me. Someone else is. So, so it's, it's, it's my connection with the universe. It's like a you spiritual know, I, connection. Or, yeah, yeah. Or, or another way to think about it is that you know, we think about our brain, right? If you think about it in computing terms, you can think of it as a, a hard drive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you read my book or, um, you know, you watch one of the Lewis podcasts, mm -hmm. right? And what you're doing is you're feeding the brain with new ideas and new information, right? And then the CPU part of the brain, the, the chip part of the brain goes to work, you know, looking through the data to come up with insights and ideas and thoughts, right? So that's one way to think about the brain as a hard drive. Now, there's another way to think about the brain which is as a browser. Mm. That the brain is in fact an access point to a worldwide web of universal intelligence that is out there. Right. And, you know, when we hear about people just having these crazy intuitions at times that have sometimes just allowed themselves to just create something or make a certain choice or a decision with uncanny wisdom, perhaps that's what the science of the future will help us how do we tap into that wisdom and alignment and intuition in a deeper way yeah yeah um the good news is to me that that doesn't have to be very wishy-washy or squishy there's a pretty hard science to it mm. and um you know uh the best i can offer is that what that hard science says is that um you know anytime that you're facing let's say a tough decision a hard choice uh, something that uh, is high stakes for you and that you feel like um, there really isn't any obvious answer, there is not enough data or there's too much data or, you know, the trade-offs are so acute, I, I really don't know which of these, therefore, is, is, the, is the best path for me. Um, create the right intention. And what that means is, what you want to say is like, I want to do this in the service of, mm -hmm. in the service of truth, in the service of my you know, desire to want to create something good for humanity right. in the service of my health, which will allow me to manifest goodness tomorrow, right? in the service of something, more than just uh, 
ego or instant gratification or a desire to punish somebody or, you know, all of that, right? So put those negative intentions aside, create a positive intention as a starting point, right? Then gather the facts, you know, mm -hmm. do the analysis. I mean, get intelligent about that issue. Uh, go out and question and ask and understand what the risks are, what the trade-offs are, what the options are. Become smart about that thing. But don't only hinge on that. So step three then is pull away. And then when you pull away, take a walk in nature, go take yes. a shower, right? I'm sure you've had, you've had many of those moments. Absolutely. Come to you, isn't yeah. it? Um, and then somehow when you release yourself from that agenda, in the back of your mind, you know, it's starting to process all your life experiences mm -hmm. and all you know. And if you were to believe my browser analogy, it is starting to have a conversation with the universe. Mm. And especially if you can create moments of solitude through prayer, meditation, um, journaling, what happens is at some level, your own inner voice breaks its silence when you become silent. And in a moment like that, sometimes an inkling, you know, a small little subtle stirring will come from within or sure. a certain, hey, Tendra, you remember that conversation you had with that person like five years ago? Something about it is very salient to this decision you're going to make, you know, or, or so you get, you get these little hints. Yes. That then you cannot step back and reactivate the analyst in you. Right. To kind of put the logic together. Do you do a lot of uh, solitude yourself or have you done, you know, silent days or silent retreats or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have to confess that it's my greatest friend. Really? It's my greatest friend. Um, How often do you sit in solitude? Yeah. Well, um, at one level, I have a meditation practice. Mm -hmm. And so that allows me to go into that space every day. Sure. You know, for a period of time. And uh, it's like the greatest gift from the universe, you mm -hmm. know, to me. You know, That's those, cool. those, those moments uh, by myself. Uh, the second is that I do very much enjoy um, full silent days on their really? own. Um, no devices, no conversations, no music. Yeah, I, I, I wish I could say no devices. <laughs> I, I have been uh, guilty of uh, keeping myself somewhat digitally connected gotcha. you know, from time to time. But you're but, not uh, talking. But I, I'm living without conversations wow. with people on the outside and it's... it's uh, so most, now, here's the thing. The, the, there is research to show that um, if you enter into that space, you know, unwillingly, then you experience loneliness, right? And, and, you have and, no one to speak to you. And you're, you're wanting that. And you want it. You feel sad and alone. Then you feel sad. You feel mm -hmm. alone, you know, and all of that, right? And, and that's not a good space to be in. You know, and I respect that. And, you know, we are social animals in many ways. And we value and celebrate relationships and human connection. At the same time, the research also shows that when you actually consciously and intentionally create space for solitude, then there are a few magical things happen. One is you realize how much in your more engaged moments of the world, you have to take on certain personas, mm -hmm. certain identities. Yes. Because that's what the world expects from you. Mm -hmm. 
Who doesn't love the sound of a good old cha-ching? The sound of yet another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Whether your thing is vintage teas or recipes for ghee, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of your favorite businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll create an online store in your vibe, discover new customers, and grow the following that keeps them coming back. Shopify has all the sales channels sorted so your business keeps growing from an in-person POS system System to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free libraries full of educational content, Shopify's got you every step of the way. So when you're ready to launch your thing into the spotlight, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform backing millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com greatness, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com greatness to start selling online today. S-H-O O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash greatness. My career not only requires me to travel, but also gives me the freedom to. Traveling has brought me so many positive experiences and memories. Like that time I spent the holidays at an Airbnb in Big Bear with some of my extended family, and it was the perfect way to come together and connect with my family that I don't see that often. If you have a similar setup that allows you to travel often, have you ever thought about your empty home while you're gone? More specifically, how you can make some extra money by keeping your home occupied while you're out of town. I'm a big advocate for setting up a side hustle to give Give you an extra stream of income and Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start. Many people host on Airbnb, including some friends of mine, but there are some people out there who've never even realized their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you've got yourself an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com host. Quaker has been a trusted name in breakfast for over 145 years, which is crazy to think about because that means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, and the ballpoint pen. And while clearly a lot of things have changed since 1877, some things have stayed the same, like the great taste and quality of Quaker oats. I mean, I think we all grew up with Quaker in our household. Quaker has something for everyone, like old-fashioned and quick oats, great for cooking and baking, or instant oatmeal in different forms flavors and varieties, one of my faves for a quick breakfast. And whether it's lower sugar or added protein or fiber, Quaker Oats can satisfy the whole family. There's even Quaker Fruit Fusion with real fruit pieces, added vitamins, and no artificial colors for a bold start to a bold morning. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats in your local grocery store. Think of all the amazing things in life that are expressions of just you. For instance, the song you stream over and over again while you're in your 13th hour of gaming at 4 a.m. in the morning with all the lights off trying not to wake up your roommates, or the recommendations that you share with your friends on the top six comedy podcasts that are the best to listen to on your way to the gym and back, or even your new haircut, which may or may not be an epic bowl cut from the 90s and hopefully is. Everything that makes you, you, makes all the difference. State Farm believes insurance should should work the same way. Your plan, your coverage selections can be personalized by you and the ability to choose the plan that you want by picking the options that fit you, like choosing to bundle your home and auto policies is what the State Farm Personal Price Plan is all about. Getting the coverage you want at an affordable price just for you. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings and eligibility vary by state. 
And you have to co-create the agenda. And you have to be there to help serve and support, you know, uh, that community, that family, that audience, you know, that stranger, you know, th th that society that you're part of. But when you are just by yourself, in some ways it frees you mm. from those burdens temporarily and allows you to be therefore more connected with the most authentic and truest part of your unique spark. Right. And you can therefore discover more about your inner voice, um, step back a little bit from the fray and examine your relationship with the world, your relationship with your family, your, you know, your higher aspirations and hungers, and make some calls for yourself that then when you reinvest in the arena of life, you're more informed, you're more guided, you're more you know, steady in purpose from within. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think of that, Lewis? And I mean, what, how does that relate to your own <clears throat> pursuit and exploration of solitude? I feel like whenever I, as you were saying this, I was just thinking about my commute to here, which is only about 12 to 13 minutes, right, in my yeah, car. Yeah. And a lot of times I don't have the music on and I'm not on a phone call because I want to be in silence and really just allow myself to breathe mentally. Yeah. And I think when I am alone, you know, whether it be in the shower or on a commute and there's no no music coming in or no conversations, yeah. I feel like my mind isn't allowing itself to cleanse itself. Kind of like when you're asleep, it's cleansing, yeah. it's healing, it's processing, it's integrating the lessons as opposed to always having some stimulant. Yes. So for me, I appreciate that alone time. And I think I, I'll notice when I'm not in attunement, when I have too much stimulus, you yeah. know, on the outside world, whether it be a screen or a, a video or something, you know. So I like just sitting, you know, or sitting with my cats or something, you know, just like being peaceful, not having the TV on, not having music on, not being on a phone call. Because um, that, that space in between the action, I feel like, is where a lot of wisdom comes from. Ah, oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I'm yeah. so glad that you... Yeah have that sensitivity and mm -hmm. engagement with it, you know, because... And I think I wish I created more alone time. I really value... I remember I used to not like to be alone at all when I was a teenager or growing up. I used to be yeah. afraid to be alone. So in my early 20s, I was tired of feeling lonely. And I said, okay, I really need to start loving myself and figure out how to be a good friend to me. Mm -hmm. So I started to go out on dinner dates with myself, to the oh, movies, nice. to the movies by myself, yeah, I've done to that lunch, too. I to love that. coffee <laughs> by myself. It's great. Whereas I could never do that before. Before yeah. I had to go out with a friend. Hey, who wants to hang out? <clears throat> so this was uh, a couple of years where I spent a lot of time alone for just hours. Mm. Every, you know, probably every couple of days I'd go out by myself. Yeah. And I really started to enjoy my alone time. And yeah. So that helped me kind of overcome the fear of loneliness and feeling like I needed people. Yeah. Um, and now I've got a lot going on. So there's there's a lot of actions I'm taking. Yeah. But I really value being at home and just kind of having some some silent time as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wonderful. So, Thanks for sharing that yeah, story. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Of course. You know, one, one of the things uh, to build on what you just said, like uh, since you lead such a public life, mm -hmm. And in my own ways, uh, you know, I have a fair amount of public moments in my life too. One thing that I found as a practice to be very helpful in helping to recapture that power of mm -hmm. solitude yes. is just to take like short breaks. Five, ten minutes. Just five minutes, mm -hmm. you know, whatever time you're allowed. You know, you have two minutes before the next Zoom call or whatever it might be. Just take that moment, just go within close your eyes and just um, experience stillness in whichever form that mm -hmm. you're most, most drawn to. And sometimes just even doing that is 
enough to connect you with almost like eternity. You yes. know, if, if it's still enough, it's, it's very rejuvenating. That's cool. That's yeah. very cool. I'm curious, you know, we're speaking about abundance a little bit there. Yeah. What do you think is necessary for someone on their core to really be in order to start to attract on the physical world? Yeah. What do they need in the spiritual inner world yeah. to attract abundance in the outer world? So, as you mentioned, the book talks about these five energies, purpose, wisdom, growth, love, and self-realization. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pick on uh, the love energy for a moment in, in response to your question. Um, for each of these energies, uh, what I've developed in this book uh, through my research and teaching is a five-stage journey. So, five yes. energies and five stages for each of the energies. Um, so, you take love, for instance, as, as an energy. Um, you know, love is about recognizing that you and I, uh, you know, we were never meant to be just alone and self-made in any regards. You know, mm -hmm. right from moments that you think life has entered, you know, the, the, the body, right, whether it's a conception or beyond, what have you. Someone has like nurtured us and supported us and developed us and more than just one person. And then there are these faceless contributors of past who have also really helped create a world that is safer and more comfortable mm -hmm. that you and I just have just felt entitled to. Yes. So so we're all in some ways interconnected and interdependent. And love is that connective tissue. You know, it's that, as Rumi would say, it's like it's the bridge between you and everything. Yes. Um, now, so you take that energy of love. Um, how do you manifest and experience an abundance of love? Um, the first stage, as I would offer, is that it's not as much about the love that you express and offer to the world. It is actually for you to feel loved, for you to feel infinitely, abundantly loved. How do we and feel that way? Yes. No, no. Uh, yeah, and this, by this who? Is by ourselves, by creator, by others? How do, we, how do we feel that? Yeah, yeah. So in some ways, nature has created the construct of a family. And not everybody is equally a beneficiary of that. Um, but, you know, for the most part, if you think about there being parents, there being, you know, that relationship lovingly between, you know, unconditionally lovingly between the parents and, and a child, that is a beautiful foundation on mm. which to then, over the course of your life, just always feel a sense of love. Because from a very early age, you felt very protected and nurtured in an unconditional way. Um, now, that's it. There are those of us who don't have that. And the research also shows that this is a muscle that we can build over time, even if it's something that we have to compensate for the lack of in the years that we were growing up. So there's a field called emotionally focused therapy, which has actually been very helpful to have people discover and really strengthen a sense of love for themselves from within, uh, even if that is something that they weren't necessarily born with. But um, the field of attachment theory you know, yes. in science has been shown to really make you much more comfortable in relationships, more invested in relationships, more at peace with conflict in relationships, more successful in relationships, if you have felt that kind of unconditional love in your life. And when you don't, then using practices like emotionally focused therapy can, can really help you close that gap. Sure, okay. Now, for me, what that means, practically speaking, is when, you, you know, the question you asked, which is a beautiful question, you know, where do you feel that love coming from? It could be, you know, as an adult, fond memories you have of having experienced that love from a teacher, from an aunt, from a grandparent, from your parents, from siblings, knowing that whether they exist physically and are in contact with you or not, mm -hmm. that you just feel that sense of love and that connection, you know, with them in spirit, if not in form. 
Uh, and if not from there, perhaps for some of us, we might be very inspired or drawn to certain role models. You know, then we can have that inner circle of friends, just like mm. we have an outer circle of friends. Kinship and so, connection. So an inner connection to a role model yes. of someone you don't know. Yeah, someone you don't know, but you can imagine them sitting in your presence and counseling you and guiding you. Um, I mean, over the mm -hmm. years as I've researched, people like an Abraham Lincoln or a Mother Teresa or a Gandhi or a Nelson Mandela, I mean, I definitely feel like they're... Wow. inseparable inner circle of friends for me. That's cool. <laughs> you know, and sometimes Lincoln might whisper something to me or a quote from him might come to my mind wow. or like a flash of a story that, you know, this is how he did this. And now I feel kind of being guided, you know, by the footsteps that he's left in the sand, cool. sands of time, right? So so that would be another another path. Sane, uh, saints, you know, some people are drawn to the lives of saints or, or, or you know, a higher power, like God mm -hmm. or the universe. It, it could be any or all of these you know, sources. So, so there is an abundance of pathways that we can actually tap into. But the point is you owe it to yourself, you know, because as, as Mother Teresa would say, she said, you cannot give what you do not have. It's true. You know, so fill your cup, you know, from within first, right? So mm -hmm. that, that's the first stage, you know, yes. in love. But then the next stage is to practice qualities like gratitude and appreciation and empathy, um, where you're always scanning for the good qualities in people for, you know, the good news in the world, you know, from today, for things even about you and about life that you feel inspired by and joyful about, uh, you know, gratitude as, you know, that's appreciation, right? And then gratitude as in like always looking out for even the small favors that you see people doing to you, um, that life is doing to you, et cetera, mm -hmm. because, you know, at that point you start feeling loved. Yes. And then you are much more naturally able to love because you live in the state of grace where you feel like there's so much beauty. So much. So much possibility. Uh, yeah, you know, life is beating you down in that way or that way. But there is so much beauty in that friend who called you, in that thoughtful email you received, in the way this, you know, server smiled at you when yes. they were serving you this meal. I feel like when, you know, a lot of people seem to focus on the bad that's happening in the world or the negative or yeah. the things that are unfair or things that are harmful or hurtful. And that doesn't create a lot of love within you when you only focus on that. I'm not saying you should neglect those things or not focus on them or realize that it's out there. But if someone was, if you were to say, okay, if you want to change your inner state, find 10 things today that is beautiful yes. in your life and focus on those 10 things, their inner state will start to shift yes. naturally because you're paying attention to something beautiful as opposed to paying attention to something that's, you know, painful. Yeah. And I think it's really where we put our attention. You said gratitude, appreciation. I, I like to add a third thing to that, which is acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. And I think when we are grateful yeah. for the things in our life, you know, maybe the challenges that helped us learn and grow and overcome or the yeah. beautiful things that have come, um, it, it makes us feel better. It makes us feel happier, more joyful. Yeah. When we appreciate it, the same thing happens. And I think when we acknowledge someone yeah. for the gift they brought to us or for opening the door, it could be a small acknowledgement, but yeah. it's something you see in someone. When you acknowledge another, yes, beauty comes back as well. Yes. Peace comes back as well. And you're doing a service yes. to someone or someone's by acknowledging them. It doesn't have to be this long, drawn-out acknowledge. It can just be, hey, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. But I think when we add gratitude, appreciation, and acknowledgement, yeah. it just increases our joy. It increases our ability to attract yeah. beauty, abundance yeah. in our life, and, and good people. 
Yeah, so true, so true. Beautifully put, beautifully yeah. put. Um, I want to share a story. Yes, if please. If that's okay with you. Yes. Uh, this is was shared by one of my students. Um, you know, one of the things I am so richly gifted by uh, from my audiences that I, I ask, you know, many times, you know, the individuals to share a personal journey, a personal story, something that has been deeply moving and inspiring to them and that they want to offer as a contribution to us. So, you know, the book has a number of these stories from executives and students, right? And so one of them just struck my mind as you were just talking so so thoughtfully about, yeah. you know, the, these three, three, three qualities, right? And so this is a student who's a physician, a heart, heart physician in China. A heart, he said, physi- yes, heart physician. Yeah, yeah, yes, he's a heart surgeon. And he said, look, most of the times I am the one who's, you know, the central, you know, kind of like hero in, in, in a story, you know, helping uh, save a life. heal and save a life, yeah. right? And he says, but there's one time, uh, tell you, I experienced quite the opposite. And he said, there was a young boy, he must have been in his early teens, and mm. he was having some congenital heart issue. And here he is being wheeled into the emergency room for like, uh, you know, surgery that I was going to perform on him. I'm in my white cord. I'm, I'm, you know, walking by, you know, by him. And he opens his eyes. He's under anesthesia. And so he opens his eyes, he sees me in the white coat and he says, oh, are you the doctor who's going to be performing, you know, the surgery on me? And I nodded my head and said, oh, I'm so happy to meet you. You know, I also want to be a doctor when I grow wow. up. And so I'm so, so happy that I'm meeting you. This guy is going for this, you know, major serious surgery. And he says, and then painfully so, I performed the surgery. It was a very, very hard, you know, um, experience and uh, he passed away I, I couldn't oh, I couldn't man. heal him it was a tough and serious condition and he says and then a day later the nurse who had been tending to him came over to me and gave me a note that he had apparently written before the surgery uh, you know at some point in that process I forget what it was before you know after the surgery did he recover a little bit and then pass on I, I, I forget that detail but essentially he written a note and in that note uh, he said, Dr. So-and-so, I just want to thank you for the way you have cared for me. Oh, my gosh. Because, he says, uh, you reminded me so much of my brother, who has also loved and cared for me. Wow. You know, with the same deep empathy and you know, that you showed me. So, thank you. Can you believe that? So, Crazy. So, it speaks to all three of what you said, right? Yes. Like, appreciation first. Like, hey, you're a doctor. Gratitude I want to be a doctor. Acknowledgement. Gratitude yeah. and acknowledgement, too. And, like, you know, for me... The power of that story, Lewis, is how can you and I ever, ever make the excuse that life's beating up me too harsh? Mm-hmm. I don't have the capacity to be, you know, acknowledging, right? Right. I mean, look what happened there. I know. And it's it's a simple practice that I think a lot of people don't do that consistently of gratitude, appreciation, and acknowledgement. And I yeah. think if people focused on that a couple of times a day. Yeah their life would start to shift. Yeah. You know, they would yeah. go from a dark place to a more light place. Yeah. Inside. Yeah. In their core, which is the thing that you talk about. Yeah. Uh, so that's your that's your topic of the energy of love. The energy of love. Now, I, I'll say one last thing on that before we move on. But before we do that, I just want to make one little small observation. As I have gotten to know you first from the outside in, right? Mm-hmm. As in um, not sitting here in this moment of conversation with you, but... Um, reviewing your content, yes. right? And uh, hearing you on other podcasts and things. On your face itself, I see these qualities mm. that somehow in the mood and the spirit you bring, right? In your eyes and your facial expressions, mm-hmm. there's this anticipation mm-hmm. that something beautiful is going to unfold yeah. in this moment, in this interaction. <laughs> you know, And it's just like, it's, it's so much core to who you are that it just like becomes, you know, I think very evident just in 
the presence and the energy that you communicate. I appreciate it. You know, I, I never knew that I would be doing this as a kid, right? Where yeah. I'd be for 10 years now, I've been interviewing people and I didn't have, I wasn't trained in school on how to do this, right? But I always had a curious mind and I just was fascinated by what people experience, their lessons, their wisdom. And I just wanted to Amazing. learn. Yeah. And I, I never felt like for me, school was a hard way to learn. Yeah. In the format that it that it typically is right now, not every school does this, but with the whole just okay, read this and then review it and then test on it, like it just didn't work well with me. I'd rather yeah. have a conversation and hear someone, a story, a lesson, a wisdom, and then go try to apply it, make my own yeah. mistakes, and learn from that. Yeah. So I'm always just fascinated by the wisdom of of people who have a lot more experience and knowledge than me. So mm -hmm. I'm very grateful that you're here. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the fact that you're here, and everyone that comes here is a gift for me. You know, it's mm -hmm. like I get to learn, I get paid to learn, and I get yeah. to share what I'm learning with the world. Yeah. And I feel like that's a it's a gift. So I'm no, just I'm grateful. Yeah. I don't take it for granted, you yeah. know. I don't take it for granted. Mm -hmm. uh, but thank you. I appreciate it. Um so why these five purpose, wisdom, growth, love, and self-realization -realiz as the five core energies that hold the key for all of our success? Yeah. And fulfillment, really. Why these these five things? Sure, sure. You know, when I started to do this work around uh, opening us up to our inner core as the space of highest potential, as a source of success, both inner success, it makes you feel more true to yourself when you're acting from that core and that outer success because it like frees you up mm -hmm. to be able to intentionally pick and choose how you want to show up in the world, what kind of behavior you want to engage in in that moment based on how you're being guided by the urgencies and the, you know, the reactions on the other person's face or what the kind of relationships you have in the room and, uh, you know, et cetera. There's like so many variables, you know, from the outside yes. that play onto us from time to time that you kind of have to be everything in the complete opposite. It just depends on the situation you're in as a parent, as a manager, you know, as a friend, mm -hmm. uh, you know, et cetera, right? And so mm -hmm. as I started to see that... Um, that there is this relentless push that we have on the outside to be so many different things if you truly, truly want to be adaptive and agile and successful. Um, the question that came to my mind is like, but, but then what are the enduring tenets, yes. the timeless essentials that will allow me and you to simplify that game? Because, you know, if you think about like the kinds of people I'm just talking about that you know, we admire over the course of history, like Abraham Lincoln or... Eleanor Roosevelt, and, and, yeah. Yeah, you know, all, all of these guys, right? What you actually find is that they were not that extraordinary. Isn't it obnoxious when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print or bills that seem to go up for no dang reason? Like when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying even more than you would have elsewhere? At Metro by T-Mobile. There's nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no price hikes, no surprises. They don't even want me to speed through the legal, so here it is. When they say no price hikes when you join, they mean your price will never increase for talk, text, and smartphone data plans. Their only exclusions are for limited time promos, per-use charges, and third-party services. I guess that really is nada, yada, yada. At Metro by T-Mobile. Nada, yada, yada. 
you can't always trust your gut. Like those times when it tells you to have that extra piece of cake or when it tells you to skip your morning routine and sleep in another hour. Probiotics can't help with most of your gut decisions, but if your gut needs a little support, Ritual has your back. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Ritual invested in a study modeling the human colon, which showed their symbiotic plus significantly increased microbial diversity and the growth of beneficial bacteria. Rigorously tested and validated by a third party for allergens, microbes, and heavy metals, Ritual multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp and made traceable. Personally, I love Ritual's Symbiotic Plus because it keeps my gut feeling balanced and it's super convenient. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 20% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash greatness. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash greatness for 20% off. Lincoln, for example, had one year of schooling. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, Mother Teresa, they never went to college. Mm-hmm. Gandhi and Mandela, they, of their own admission, were very indifferent and poor students. So, like, how are these mm. guys, right. you know, basically expressing such genius when, on the other hand, formally, they haven't really gone through the trappings of what, the education that, that we are blessed with having, you know, many of us. What I started to find is that they reduced life to its essence. And then I started to ask myself, what is that essence, mm. right? And of course, it's nice to think about and talk about the core, but now I've got to find a way to give it practical expression on the outside. Yes. Something which is like a how-to guide, right? Which I know you love, right? Yes. And all your teachings too. Um, and that is where I realized that, listen, this Einsteinian idea from the 20th century, that matter is an illusion, that matter is nothing but condensed energy, E is equal to mc squared, all of matter ultimately can be translated into explosive, boundless, abundant energy, right? That's the C squared, the speed of light squared. You take a little bit of matter, multiply it by the speed of light squared. That's the amount of energy there is, you know, in, in the universe, in, in every atom. What if that was true of you and me and mm. all of us too? That actually we are first and foremost not human behaviors, but actually energies, you know, and what could those energies be, right? And then I looked at the sun, Right, and I said, like, this is interesting. Actually, all of who you are and I am and everything, we owe to the sun because all the energy comes from there, comes into plants, and then we break down, you know, plants or animals, right. and we maintain all of that, right? And then the sun itself, the very center of the sun, is apparently, from what I understood from science, is a little small piece that is about one percent of the sun's total volume, right? So as a ball, as a sphere that little center of the sun, the 1% of the sun's volume, but that 1% of the sun's volume, which they call the sun's core, actually generates 99% of the sun's energy. Crazy. So 99% of what you and I are is actually coming from that 1%. Really? The very center of the sun. The center of the sun. Yeah, isn't that that beautiful? It's crazy. It's almost like a mathematical secret that nature is just kind of holding out there for us to discover for ourselves. And how does the sun even, I mean, this is an ignorant question, but how does the sun even generate that much heat in that 1%? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and radiate for however far millions of miles away as it is or whatever yeah, to yeah. get here. It's yeah, like, it's, it's all it? mystical. Yeah, it's, 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 it's all so much, it's right? All, it's so much, isn't it? It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Einstein, you know, he said it beautifully. He said that there are only two kinds of people, 
those who think that nothing is a miracle and those who think that everything is a miracle, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right. And so there's a moment where I'm like, okay, I've been looking at the sun for all these years and here it is, I discovered today something new from science I hadn't known before. Now, now you take this idea of like energy, then the question is, you know, is, intuitively does that make sense to you? That like mm. when people enter a room, they have a certain energy. Or you feel like, you know, the energy in the you know, room is Soft. just not good, yeah, you yeah. know, and all that. Or, or, or like, I don't have the right chemistry with this person, or, you know, or et cetera, right? Ultimately, it's a subtle force that we are tuning ourselves into, both for ourselves and for others. And so I wanted to, like, give some more form, you know, to this thing called energy. And um, I was personally drawn to yoga, uh, coming from my roots in India. And in yoga, they have these four different branches of yoga. Karma yoga, which is about doing the right thing without attachment to outcome. And I feel like that's like purpose. You know, mm-hmm. having a higher kind of goal that you're going after and in an egoless way, just serving the goal sure. in the advancement of humanity in some way. So that's that's purpose. That's karma yoga. The next one that's is kar- like karma yoga. Karma yoga. Karma yeah, yoga. Karma yoga. Yep. Yeah. Then the next one is called bhakti yoga. You know, and bhakti yoga is devotion. It's love. It's your connection with the universe through that heart-based quality. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, this is cool. That is obviously a critical dimension too, beyond like the diligent pursuit of like purpose, is the heart-based connection, compassion, empathy, kindness, mm-hmm. gratitude, all of that. And so that became love for me as an energy. Uh, then there is a third yoga, which is jnana yoga. And that is about wisdom. It's the incisive attunement with truth. Just like there are laws of nature, there are laws of human nature. Mm-hmm. Can you attune yourself to those laws of human nature and live in harmony with them? Then you are advancing and sharpening your intellect yes. but just in a way that is consistent with just the way the universe is meant to be. And so that's Gyan Yoga's wisdom, you know, as an energy, just a commitment to live beyond just a surge of emotions or a blinding belief or a distorted thought with more of a, as a friend of Abraham Lincoln once said about him, a clear mental lens. He said he had a very clear mental lens. And so that's the wisdom. That's the wisdom mm-hmm. energy. Uh, and then self-realization, there's another yoga called Raj Yoga. And Raj Yoga is meant to be the accelerated path towards enlightenment or towards your highest potential. And the idea is that if you go into stillness, solitude we've talked about, some form of just um, deep, you know, kind of just focus of your attention to the very core of your being, just like we send astronauts into outer space, what about sending astronauts into inner space? And that's what self-realization is, this mm. stilling of the mind, you know, moving from what I call the uh, interiorized mind, just disconnecting from the outside, yes. to the focused mind, to the tranquil mind. You know, that is self-realization for you, or what they call Raj Yoga. And then growth for me was just an enabling energy. You know, growth for me, which, you know, I know you love, but, you know, yes. all, all, all of your own teachings and the path you've been on, including those critical moments where you've had hardship and struggle mm-hmm. in pivoting, you know, beyond sports into yes. what now is this new sport, right? That, exactly. That, you, that you're playing and helping others play. Um, I know you're very energized by growth and I felt like growth was needed as mm-hmm. a way to help everybody realize, you know, as St. Augustine once said that, you know, no, no saint is without a past and no sinner is without a future, mm-hmm. you know, so, so we all can grow. Right. Um, and, you know, sure. so, so that's like my way of thinking about it, coming from the yoga, you know, kind of, you know, roots, you know, from where it comes. But also, if you think about it, just like in modern Western thinking, we have this notion of the whole person, right? Body, mind, heart, and spirit. Body is karma, is purpose. Mm-hmm. Mind is wisdom, is gyan. Heart is love. Bhakti yeah. and spirit is 
Self-realizations right, around you. Right. I don't know. You've added, but you've added growth to it also. Yes, I've added growth as an yeah. enabling energy. So how do we learn to cultivate and hone in each one of these energies at the highest level? Yeah. And align ourselves to our, our highest self within each energy. Yes. What does that process look like? Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, you know, that's what the five stages are that I've, um, you know, kind of, codified over time. I have to say, look, I mean, there's nothing new in this book sure, or sure. in my work because time, like truth is timeless. Uh-huh. Truth is timeless. And it's just more about, you know, taking old wine and putting it into the right new bottle uh-huh. based on the present moment. Sure. Right. And so to that end, um, these five stages are not new in themselves, but I hope that they can provide to our listeners today uh, some structure, some guidance, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, so for instance, with love, those five stages, just to give you a flavor for, for what they are, as I was mentioning, the, the first one is to, um, you know, I, I like to draw the metaphor from like flowers and plants, you know, for, for this energy of love. So the very first stage is to um, really prepare the soil. And that is about just making sure it's like a healthy soil in which love can actually get cultivated. Yes. And for that, you've got to feel loved yourself. And then the next one is sow the seeds. And that's about... You know, the conversation we just had about gratitude and appreciation mm-hmm. and you call it acknowledgement. I, I talk about empathy there and abundance. Yes. Then the third is pull out the weeds, you know, because the weeds will like suck up all the resources and kind of just dry up your soul from within. What are those weeds? You know, those weeds are, you know, judgment when you live in judgment of people, hatred when you allow any part of your brain to entertain joy in inflicting pain on some community out there mm-hmm. um, that is a dangerous and uh, destructive kind of, you know, weed that we need to uproot. An inner weed, yeah. An inner weed. Or grudges, you know, moments where we keep holding on to unsavory memories of the past, feeling a sense of bitterness or rage or anger or something about another person, as opposed to Doing the right thing from the outside, whatever it is we need to do, because sometimes you have to litigate, sometimes you have to cut a relationship yes. off or have a firm conversation or, or do whatever. Create a boundary. You yes. know, or, or actually truly forgive on the outside too, in uh-huh. some cases, because like it's your loved one and yes. you know, we all stumble because we're all human, whatever it might be on the outside. Mm-hmm. But from within, why not declare a victory you know, for your own self by seeing yourself more as a, a hero rather than a victim in that journey? Mm-hmm. And surmounting and transcending and you know moving beyond you know and making peace yes. you know with that so so those are the weeds you know the grudges judgments and hatred right so that's the third stage pull out the weeds so you've got prepared the soil you've got sowing the seeds you've got removing the weeds and then the fourth one to me is pruning the branches because mm-hmm. you know love um, in um, left you know unto itself unfettered can lead you to over empathize with the person in front of you mm-hmm. this team member who's coming to you and like talking about like how they're in such great pain because their manager is doing this and that and you're not like paying attention to yes but i haven't heard the other story yet right what is the manager's perspective on this what is the team's perspective on it you know and so you get so consumed by just like empathy for some one individual entity or sometimes you just give 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 without like protecting and and like you said creating certain boundaries yes you know help support and you know you know your own interests as well um, and so your judgments can get blurred. You may not be able to have tough conversations and make hard calls, which the universe from time to time requires you to do in the pursuit of your purpose. Or there are some hard truths, you know, in the pursuit of wisdom. So pruning the branches of the love, you know, kind of tree that is starting to come together is to be able to bring purpose and wisdom and growth 
into those love conversations. Yes. Not just do them in such a way that is so just unfettered that you're not being able to bring perspective. Right. So that's the fourth, that's the yes. fourth of these. And you know, it's, it's, it's a razor's edge because many of us just withdraw love from those situations. You know, I, I, I go to like fire this guy or, or, or I go to have a hard conversation with my, my son now or, or this or that. And so I, I, I should just part love out because, you know, because I, if tough, I start getting yeah. sensitive to the person's feelings, but no, it doesn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. You can with unconditional love and gentility and care still have a firm conversation mm-hmm. and still you know, look at the person in the eye and say, it is for your own future good that in the moment I'm going to express this hard truth to you. You know, and so that's all about the pruning. Mm. And then the fifth and final stage is to make love bloom. You know, you've got the soil there, you've got the seeds there, you've got the weeds out, you know, you're pruning in a disciplined way. Now let it bloom. Yes. Now what that means, you know, this is a thing I, I kind of like learned um, over time. It's not just enough to have the right intentions. You know, I, I had a CEO once of a um, retail chain and she said, I donate a lot to uh, this uh, cancer hospital for kids. And, uh, you know, when I go there sometimes, I am just awestruck with the kind of service and care the doctors and nurses are giving. And then these parents, you know, of these kids and they're hurting. And she said, I, I don't know mm. what to say or what to do. You know, I, I just feel so uncomfortable because I can't be of any support to them. You know, they, I, I can't heal the kid and I, I can't give them hope beyond what the physician is doing and all that. She said, I, I just feel like I just don't have that capacity to love. You know, and she's, she's you know, confiding this in me mm-hmm. uh, when she's hearing me talk about some of these energies. And I said, wait a second, let me hold back. Let me offer you a thought. You know, you say you don't have the capacity to love. First of all, you're doing a lot of love by the funding you're doing to help enable this kind of healing in the hospital. It's your funds. So, so thank you for what you're doing there for them. And I said, you know, and then the other part is, like, you could, you could go there sometime and just hold a parent's hand. And you could just look at them in the eye and just say, you know, I admire your spirit, you know, that you mm-hmm. are being so strong and so courageous, you know, in what you're, you know, taking yeah. on here for Acknowledgement. yourself. Acknowledge them. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. You know, I, I, I admire it. And, you know, I am keen and looking forward to seeing, you know, you come to a really good place or whatever it might be. Small little gestures, right? Um, and so this is a thesis I just want to offer, you know, our, our listeners as well. If you ever feel like, this person has lost a loved one. How can I ever be of any help to them? I'm speechless. You know, I don't know what to say or do. Or this is such an enormous cause. There are millions of people suffering. Well, what can I do? Never allow yourself to get paralyzed mm-hmm. from taking some small action. Yes. Because at Mother Teresa, you know, she would say, she says, uh, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things right. with great love. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So that's... Uh, how does that's how does someone learn to love themselves if for their most of their lives they've been beating themselves up, speaking yeah. poorly to themselves, discounting their abilities, and hating themselves internally? Yeah. How do they shift that into loving themselves? I really, uh, first of all, you know, empathize with um, that individual. Um, I can not even imagine mm-hmm. how um, it must come from a place of great, perhaps, pain, suffering, deprivation, hardship, uh, going back years, you know, yeah. going back years. I mean, you know, Mother Teresa came and gave a commencement address at Harvard University, and she said, you know, uh, people have told me here that, Mother, you know, what are you doing in this country? Because, you know, we don't have as many hungry people, you know, or poor people here uh, as you as you do back there. So, you know, all that, and of course, Painfully so, the reality is different. There are a number of, you know, physically hungry and, and uh, you know, poor people, you know, today, mm-hmm. and perhaps even more so, you know, yeah. than her time. But but she said, she said, I do see, you know, poverty. I do see hungry. I see a great hunger for love. 
Mm. And she said, go back to your homes, each of your graduates, you know, and uh, find the person who is most hungry for love and give them your love. Wow. Uh, and so my prayer to all of us is, first of all, pay attention to those individuals, the kinds that you've just mentioned, yeah. who may be hurting. And you never know what has happened in the Korean life that has caused them to perhaps live with this deprivation sure. uh, and grapple with it. Uh, but um, but there is there is hope and there is possibility and there is a path for, for all of us and certainly for, for those that you mentioned as well. And I would say, first, develop a relationship with nature. Yes. Develop a, nature, a relationship with nature. Go to parks, go to the national parks, you know, go to just take a walk, you know, in a place laden with flowers and the open sky and just feel the connection with the universe. And intuitively, if you can free your mind from the affairs of the day and the inner self-talk where you flagellate yourself, you mm. beat yourself up. If you can free your mind, even for a moment or two, in that walk in nature, you will feel love from the universe coming to you. It's true. You will feel part of a universal plan. You are not alone. Nothing in this universe is separate from anything else. You will feel an intuitive capacity as I have as a child sometimes lying on the lawns of my home late in the evening at night, looking at the stars, you will feel like the stars are talking to you. It's a painting in the sky that has been made for you. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and so that's my one, you know, my one suggestion. Um, another might be that, um, you know, see if you can take on some practice of mindfulness or, or meditation. There's a reason why today it has started to become you know, very um, invested in yeah. by psychotherapists, you know, who are starting to inculcate it in some of their psychotherapy work. Uh, and having been intrigued about it from the age of 10, but ultimately getting disciplined about it only in my early to mid 30s. And finally now, you know, 20 years later, feeling the blessing of what it has accrued for me in these years, I can only uh, tell you it's like, it's the, you know, I, I say it in the book, it's like the most perfect drug. Right. It's a perfect drug. It's free drug. It's, yeah. It's free. Yeah. It has no it's side healthy. effects. Yeah. <laughs> no side effects. As opposed to drugs, which sometimes you get immunized, you know, after mm. you keep using them. Yes. This thing actually gives you more and more rewards over time. Mm. The more you do it, the more you, next time you do it, it'll be an even more uh, focused, more rewarding kind of outcome. Yes. Uh, so, uh, so see if you can take on a practice like that. Don't expect results on the first day or the second day. Surrender to it. Do the practice. Make sure it's a good teacher teaching path. And then over time, you will see how it will just shift and completely change yeah. your connection with yourself. Your whole sense of self will just get um, to um, go through such a joyous transformation. Yes. Why do, you, why do you think so many people fail at mastering their inner world, mastering these energies? Why do you think they struggle so much yeah. of getting in a place of alignment with these core things? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, is it distractions? Is it they don't have the tools? Is it just what? Yeah, yeah. Two thoughts. One is that, um, so I'll share this quick yeah. story. So Michelangelo, right? Mm -hmm. This great Renaissance sculptor, right? Uh, of, of the yesteryears. So there was this piece of marble that had been quarried, you know, from around Florence in the hills and brought back into that, you know, uh, mecca of like Renaissance art, yes. Florence. But it had a big gash in it, a big cut in it. 
And as a result, the city was trying to commission one artist after another to take it on, but they all refused because they were like, what can we do with this? It's a wasteful piece of stone. And then in strides Michelangelo at some point, looks at an impressive large piece of stone, but imperfect, right? And uh, takes it on. And then out of that, he sculpts David. Wow. Which is considered to be one of the you know, greatest you know, contributions of Renaissance art. And so here is this pure, beautiful form that has been sculpted out of a very imperfect stone. Mm. And in fact, Michelangelo himself, when he was asked about what he thinks about sculpting, he said, he said, sculpting, you know, you don't create anything. At least if you paint, like you're, you know, you're creating something on canvas. He said, in sculpting, the statue was always present within the stone. All you mm. had to do was remove the excess stone yes. to get to the pure, beautiful form, which was always there. Right? What a humble and beautiful you know, way of defining his craft. Right? Now, if you and I were to apply that to our own lives, right? could it be that even though we have an imperfect stone with big gashes in it, our bad habits, yes. our past failures and all of that, that actually within that, there is a pure, beautiful statue mm -hmm. right? that is lying. You can claim victory in sports on the job site, even on your taxes by switching to H&R Block. Block offers many ways to file to fit your schedule. A 100% accurate return on your max refund or your money back. Plus, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. Switch today and feel like a tax champion. This tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. Disclaimer, all tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com slash guarantees. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals, knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. And then all we got to do is like activate that inner sculptor, right? To get closer and closer. Not to retrofit it from the outside, not to fix and bandage a wounded me, right? But to really awaken to something that was always beautiful within by taking and chipping off the excess, chipping off the excess. So, so the first barrier that I think people face is you got to believe that there's something incredibly beautiful within you. Yes. You know, this thing called the musk deer. Uh, you know, it's, it's a deer. Musk deer. Musk deer, yes. right? They have this like incredible fragrance to them. Yes. Right? And so there's this like apocryphal story about this musk deer that is, you know, kind of getting to experience this fragrance and getting tremendously fascinated about where is this coming from and running crazy, you know, around the hill and everywhere trying to kind of search for the source of that fragrance, ultimately up a cliff from where in that mad kind of crazy hunger for that fragrance, they actually uh, jump all the way down into their own death. Mm -hmm. Not realizing that actually speaking, that fragrance was sourced right from within them. Right. From within them. So we go out after like all these hungers that we have in the world outside, not realizing that that love, that joy, that perfection, that harmony, that sweetness, 
all of the things we're looking for is actually present within our own core. So first, mm-hmm. you've got to believe that. You've got yes. to believe that. You've got to believe that the beautiful form exists, which is why I think for a lot of people, they, 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 they don't get there. They don't get there. They don't believe that. They don't believe right? And so that's my first suggestion. They probably also have created so much evidence and stories of why it's not true. It's not true. Because right? this person took advantage of me. My parents left me. I did poorly here. You know, yeah, this person yeah. cheated on me. Whatever it is. Yeah. They find stories of evidence that prove. Yeah that they can't believe there's goodness in them, yes, right? Yes. So it's needing to learn how to rewrite those stories and, and and tell the stories in a different way to your benefit, Yes, I think is important first, but that's it's hard for people to do it. It took me a long, long time to do that. Yeah, it's one of the reasons that. why I was seeking this wisdom because I was like, ah, I don't know how to get out of this. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Um, but that's step one is learning how to believe. So true, so true, yeah. right? And, and then the next step is looking for a pathway and solutions. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens there is uh, sometimes we tend to only focus on outer pathways, yes. whereas actually the real breakthroughs come, as you know as much as I, when we pursue the inner pathways, mm-hmm. right? And the inner pathways is to start paying attention to some of these subtler inner influences, like your thought patterns, yes. right? Which you talk so much about, right? You just mentioned it in the context of the narratives you tell, the stories mm-hmm. you tell, right? Um, and then maybe at a deeper level, the beliefs you know with which you operate. Right. Um, for example, what is your belief about human nature? What is your belief about the redemptive possibilities in human nature? Right. Um, what, what is your beliefs about whether the universe is looking out for you mm-hmm. or is against you? Right. You know all these things. You shift those beliefs and you start getting into a much more empowered yeah. stage, right? Um, and so this inner work is subtler. It's a little bit less tangible. Mm-hmm. Um, the world is not going to cheer you on when you're doing that work. It's not yes. going to be as visible. People out there are not usually really wanting you to hang out and talk about those conversations. They'd rather have you just like express some criticism yeah, yeah, or yeah, some yeah, humor yeah. about something else going on. So you're going to have to go against the grain a little bit to make the space mm-hmm. and place for it. And perhaps right. re-architect the environment and the relationships and which podcast you're listening to I know. and the work you're doing. But if you start doing, you know, it's uh, as my spiritual master, Yogananda, you know, he once said, he said, what happens over time is that what you thought was real starts to become, you know, less real. Right. And what you thought was unreal starts to become more real. Right. That's beautiful. I love that lesson. I'm curious of your experience at, at, at business school, teaching at business school, yeah. where a lot of students come in because yeah. they want to learn how to start a business manage a business, launch a business. And a lot of their focus is, I would assume, is how do I learn the skills to make more money, make a lot of money. Yeah, Probably is, is that a fair assumption? A lot of people want to come to learn how to build a business and make money, right? Yes. Have you seen any good examples of people who've come to your classes or come to the school who have really used these core energies to launch a business and find incredible financial success, but also keep yeah. their inner peace, yeah. their joy, their significance, their fulfillment in the process and not lose their relationships and their health and, you know, become, you know, addicted to painkillers or something. Yeah. Have you seen examples of this or or do you see a lot of people struggling with that? Yeah, yeah. At some level, already I am seeing a positive shift in the kind of motivations that bring people and the kind of plans and aspirations. 30 years ago, it was different. yes. 30 years ago, it was even more what you just shared. Uh, you know, a thirst for a certain financial and uh, career outcome. Yes. That was very focused on the self. You know, self-achievement, self-success, self-attainment. It certainly is, you know, still still largely true. But at the same time, I am very touched, I would say, and inspired by how today's generation 
is starting to look beyond. Mm-hmm. It's starting to look for purpose. And contribution, it's, service. And starting to look for contribution. Yeah. Right? Like, what's the play I want to have in society? Right. Right? And it's starting to also, at some regard, like, look for growth. Which yes. is, how do I self-actualize? How do I become Interesting. kind of like a better version of myself right. you know, through through this journey and through the career I choose and the company I work at and the culture and the company and the role I take on and all of that. So that's good news, actually, you know, in many regards. Um, now, I will say that there is no single archetype of like a business school student. And you will have some who will perhaps roll their eyes and yawn and say, like, that's not for me. Right. You know. There are these like Black-Scholes formulas of options pricing and advanced finance classes that I need to take, and then I'm going to become a czar of Wall Street or something, right? Sure. And that's 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 the path I'm on. And and thank you, Tenra. I don't need your class. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I respect that. Well, the cool thing is that the thesis I make to uh, our students is that if you take a bell curve, right, underperformers, average performers, high performers, right, you actually look at like the high performing end of it people who might be like say senior partners at a top consulting firm or a law firm or mm-hmm. a Wall Street firm or successful entrepreneurs or what have you. You actually, I wouldn't say find uh, a very common set of qualities to all of them. I, I wouldn't say that. But then if you look at the outliers that lie beyond the main body of that bell curve, right? Who are like vastly more successful, vastly more successful then you enter into a very rarefied air mm-hmm. of the Warren Buffetts right. and the Steve Jobs right? Right. and the Elon Musks. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and there you actually start finding some pretty incredible common ground. That is, now, it doesn't mean that any of these are necessarily are perfect people. Of course. And every one of them has their own fabulous flaws. Yep. Right? And in some ways it humanizes them to me, where you realize that, oh, you know, I've got my flaws. If they could ascribe for greatness or aspire for it, well, why can't I? Sure. Even the flaws I have. I mean, so, so, so in some ways, to me, it's, it's nice. It makes them more accessible. But, but there are certain disciplines, mental disciplines, emotional disciplines, physical well-being disciplines, uh, if you want to call it almost like spiritual disciplines, mm-hmm. that you see these people intuitively figure out for themselves are the critical enablers for what it is right. that they want to do. Right. And, what would you uh, say are those three core disciplines that the elite in business all have in common? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of them is non-attachment to outcomes, mm. which means that you are not obsessed with results for the sake of results. You don't attach your ego and your self-esteem to those results, but you're doing it from some kind of a deeper, more enduring sense of purpose. So, for example, you take Steve Jobs, right? Uh, Larry Ellison, you know, the Oracle founder and CEO, he shared the story. He said, you know, this time when Steve was going through a little dark night of the soul, he had been fired from Apple, he was at Next Computers. Yes. Apple was starting to stumble, not do that well. And Steve and I were good friends and we went for a walk. And I was very excited because I was seeing where Apple stock was going. And I was like, Steve, you know, I can put money and basically buy out the stock of Apple. And then... Um, because it's so low right now. And then we'll make you CEO and we'll give you a lot of stock. And then you turn the company around and you and I will both make a lot of money. And he said, Steve paused there. He turned and faced me and he put his you know, hands on my shoulders. And he said, Larry, that's why you need me as your friend. Because 
you don't need more money. You already have so much money. And he says, when I do this, I want to do it the right way. I want to do it from a place of higher purpose, not because of money. Wow. And he says that, he said, here is how it's going to play out. Apple is going to soon realize that they have a weak operating system. They're going to need a different operating system. They're going to come shopping around. They'll see Next. They'll see that our operating system is, in fact, what they need. They will acquire Next. Once they acquire Next, I'll get a board seat at Apple. Once I get a board seat at Apple, you just wait and see. Wow. The CEO. <laughs> Can you imagine? This is the way reality played out over the next few years. He Crazy. just kind of had it scripted in his mind. And, and, then, and then Larry Ellison has gone on to say in another interview, he said, like, you know, Steve went on to create the most valuable company on earth in Apple at that time. And he says, and yet he was not interested in fame, not interested in fortune. He was just interested as a creative mind in just manifesting his purpose. Mm. So that's, you know, so that's one quality I see in these people. The second is non-attachment to outcomes, doing it for a certain more kind of enduring kind of reason than purely obsessed with a certain goal. The second thing I've seen these people is principles. Mm. They have taken the time to codify for themselves what the core principles are on the basis of which they operate. You take someone like Warren Buffett, you know, I mean, storied investor, you know, perhaps the most successful ever in modern times. You know, the values investing ethos and model is one that has allowed him to rise above the fray from the passions of the market. And there were times, remember, the telecom bubble and the internet bubble around the year 99, 2002, 2003. He was considered to be like old hat, you know, somebody who was like obsolete now. The internet had a new model for business and all. And he was like, I'm not going to invest in stocks that don't have gravity, where I can't understand, you know, the right. logic behind them. And then the bubble burst. And as he said, you know, it's when the tide goes away, that's when you see who's swimming naked. Yeah, And true. most of those folks were swimming naked at that time. Yeah. But he survived, you know, that, that downturn among others. And so there is a certain core set of principles by which he does his form of investing. Core set of principles by the basis of which, you know, Steve Jobs does his entrepreneurship and that Elon Musk uses for, for what he's trying to manifest. So what are your principles? What are my principles based on the path that we are choosing and what we want to do? Uh, writing them down, really sharpening our mm -hmm. thinking about them. How do you put them into practice in a way that uh, makes perfect sense? So that's the second. The third one I would say is that they never stop growing. You know, that they always see themselves as a work in progress. They never feel like I've arrived, I've made it. And now, you know, you mentioned that as such a beautiful quality in you, mm -hmm. that from a very early age, you're very curious, wanting to learn from others. Here you are sitting with such a mountain of wisdom, you know, yeah. within you that, you know, that we see in, mm -hmm. in your work. But at the same time, having that humility to realize, like, there's always more to learn. And, Absolutely. And, you know, Einstein, he said it beautifully. He said the difference between what the least knowledgeable person knows and what the most knowledgeable person knows is trivial compared to what is not known. Right. It's true. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. It's so nothing. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Small amount of information yeah, compared to yeah. all the information out there. So who cares about trying to rank order yourself uh -huh. against others and feel like who has more likes and more more money or more impact or whatever? Who, who cares? I mean, another way I think, like, think about it, uh, Lewis, is, you know, like, let's say that we're looking on the ground there and there are, like, three or four ants, you know, mm -hmm. and they're, like, fighting and competing with each other and one's saying, I'm bigger, I'm brawnier, I'm faster, I'm wiser, I'm smarter. Look how much time it took me to build that little mound versus you, or whatever it is. And we're going to look at them and just laugh and yeah, say, yeah. Are, you, are you nuts? <laughs> you know, you, you're all basically at the most 100x, you know, from each other or whatever. And here we are, you know. We, mm -hmm. And I mean, I think that's, if you think about the universe, you know, the universe is infinite, right? Whatever you want to think about in terms of space or wisdom or creativity or possibility, from the perspective of the universe, 
any two human beings, you know. However, right. you can look at them, you know, they're, they're just not ants. Even. Not even. <laughs> like the difference between them is nothing, yeah. right? So, so, so that's what you see in these people a sense of uh, always boundless, learning, yeah. abundant intrigue about what lies ahead. Yes, that's beautiful. Who, in your mind, is the most inspiring entrepreneur that you've studied of the history or of current time? Yeah, I mean, um, not maybe I, I, not maybe based on their personal lives, but just yeah, based yeah. on how they've brought their mission to life. For me, Steve Jobs. Uh-huh. For me, Steve Jobs. I I'm just deeply grateful that uh, he has been a contemporary, and that I have had a chance not just to study him historically, like I have with an Abraham Lincoln, but uh, that we lived through some of those chapters, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with him, you know, as they were unfolding in a way that we know has changed the world. Now, why do I say that? Not because of some of the things only that he has been known for in popular consciousness, which is that he was a creative genius, he had this larger visions, he was a force of nature and the way he was kind of pushed through his ideas and make things happen, but actually for two things which are less well known. When you add those two to this, that's when you complete the stool, you know, with the three legs. So there's this piece that we, you know, we talk about, but the other two pieces that I want to quickly just offer, one is that, you know, he realized pretty early in his life, he said like, I'm not interested in being the richest man in the cemetery. So that's not the goal of life. He said the goal of life is enlightenment, whichever way you define it. As a teenager, he came to India in the search of truth. Mm -hmm. He went to the Himalayas and things. He wanted to, for a while, be like a Hindu ascetic, like a truth seeker. Then he realized his calling was more in the world. But then he went on the Buddhist path. He went to Japan, took on his Zen Buddhist practice, which became his enduring faith for him. Uh, Did deep inner work around meditation, et cetera. Uh, you know, worked a lot on his diet. You and I were talking about sure, it you know, sure. some time back. And, um, and so he, he did a lot of inner tilling of his soil. And I admire him for that. I admire him for that. But then here's the third and last piece of it, which is that that was Jobs 1.0. Somebody who was doing a lot of that inner work and then manifesting it through his voice, his vision, his purpose, his energy, and foisting it, you know, on this world, which was like, oh, wow, this guy is an amazing, you know, kind of just entrepreneur, right? And, and that leads him to IPO and launch Apple and succeed with the initial Apple products. But then he struggles, he fails, and he stumbles. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when Steve Jobs 2.0 starts to get sculpted. And, and how, old, how old was he then when he, he, was, he went to the failure? And the- uh, if I recall, I think... Somewhere in his late twenties. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't hold me to that. Sure, but I, sure, I think sure. somewhere in his yeah. late twenties. So now he's actually fallen from a place of tremendous, you know, grace uh-huh. and celebrity status, right? And what would happen next? As opposed to just like pure bitterness, he went on a tremendous journey of growth. Yes, you know, from time to time, his bitterness or his rage or his Foisting his ideas and others didn't leave him. He had aspects of his habits in him, but he rebuilt a relation. Oh, he built a relationship with this daughter Lisa that he yeah. had in the past. Was denied patrimony over. You know, we have to recognize that he was, um, in some ways, abandoned. In the mm-hmm. sense that he was given up for for adoption, right, right, right. and he was raised by foster parent loving parents. You know, mm-hmm. you know, God bless them for taking such loving care of him. Um, who knows what struggles he had to work out with his own inner demons in attachment and engagement and love and connection with people. But he had to work that out. And he he did, you know, with his daughter as best he could. He also just became a lot more humble and attuned to other people's ideas and thoughts and acknowledging his own errors and bringing their voices in. 
uh, as has been you know shared by Ed Catmull, the you know, former CEO of Pixar Animation Studios, and knew about twenty years, mm-hmm. and also you know Tim Cook, who's also shared right. about what he knew. But you know, and he says the sheep jobs of his early years, feisty, you know, assertive, you know, dynamic was not the Steve Jobs that, you know, actually they saw evolve in the next 10, 20 years. He was a much more empathetic, much more tuned, much, you know, so so that's a beautiful story of growth yeah, right yeah. there, the Steve Jobs 2. Transformation, power. yeah. And then finally, he had this capacity of empathy that he developed over time, which was, again, not necessarily part of his early years, where, you know, this one uh, reporter for Rolling Stones magazine wrote this piece about him upon his passing, and he said, over the last few years, I just watched him completely change. And he said he would call me and talk to me and had a curiosity about my family, about my children. I never thought I'd ever talk to him about my kids in the past. Larry Brilliant, you know, his son went through cancer and Steve would call him up and talk to his son and coach him and guide him through his cancer healing journey and talk to him about like how he can just kind of like fight it and all of that stuff. He just lovingly was just a presence for him there. Oh yeah, so so there's a beautiful, very human side of like Steve Jobs stories that play out. And, you know, who knows what Steve Jobs 3.0 would have been. You know, as Jim Collins said, like, I would have loved to see Steve Jobs 3.0, which we, you know, don't have the benefit of. Right, right. So, so you know, so to that end, I, I have just a lot of love for him. Mm. Yeah. Did you ever meet him or no? No, 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 no. I'm great. But we share one common connection in some ways, which I moved to share with you. Yeah, although sure. I never, never met him, uh, which is that, um, so when Walter Isaacson was writing uh, his book on him, right? So he was doing a lot of research and interviews and spending a lot of time with him. Uh, the authorized biography, so to mm-hmm. say. He said, once I was with Steve and I asked him, um, what's, you know, what do you read? L- let me see your iPad. Let me see what books you have in you know, your iBooks there. And he said he had only one book. He had only one book. And uh, I'll tell you what that is in a minute, but let me tell you another story first. Upon his passing, they had a memorial service at Stanford University for him and all the mega, you know, folks of Silicon Valley were there, of sure, course, as sure. you can imagine. Google founders and others. And Yo-Yo Ma was like, you know, performing there and everything. And everything had been designed by Steve because he was anticipating his own passing. And, he, you know, as you can imagine with Steve, the experience and everything, he wanted to get every Produced detail it. right, yeah, perfect. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the uh, founder of uh, Salesforce, you know, he, he uh-huh. shares the story, uh, Mark Binioff. Yes. He says that as we walked out from that, you know, uh, we all got a brown bag. And we were curious, like, what's in this bag? And it's apparently like Steve's last message to us. You know, because like this is the last moment, you know, his memorial service. And he said, I went to my car and I ripped open the bag to see what, and there was this book inside. Now, remember I told you that Walter Eisen said he had just one book. Mm -hmm. That book is called Autobiography of a Yogi. Really? And it is the autobiography of uh, Yogananda, Mm -hmm. who I uh, first encountered at the age of 10, not physically, because he passed on me in 1952. But I encountered through his teachings and his writings, and I got hmm. swept off my feet, swept wow. off my feet. And uh, I started to kind of pursue his path of Kriya Yoga and meditation and, you know, all of that. Uh, and his international headquarters of his organization called Self-Presentation Fellowship is right here in Los Angeles. Huh. Oh, came, yeah. It's right here in, in with 1920. The, with the, uh, I've been there a few times with a little pond and like, it's a beautiful. That room. is another of their properties. Okay, it's uh, one of his too. That's called Lake Shrine. Oh, it's so amazing. And it's so beautiful, isn't it? It's so peaceful. Yeah, beautiful, yeah, 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 yeah. So that's a beautiful property of theirs too. This one, the international headquarters on Mount Washington. Okay. It's uh, this little hidden nook uh, between cool. LA and Pasadena and this little hill. I'll and at the very, very top of that. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Actually, come there sometime. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd love to host you there. Actually. Okay, cool. Um, and so, so, Jobs told Isaacson, he said, 
I encountered this book during my travels in India and I read it. And he said, since then, I have reread it every year. Wow. And that was the only book he had on his iPad. And then Mark Benioff at the conference, when he shared that this was his parting gift to us, he said, that was Steve Jobs' message to us. And he said, most entrepreneurs don't get it. They think it's about changing the world. Actually, what Steve Jobs' message was, change yourself. Mm. Actualize yourself. You mm. have no idea what your full potential is. Wow. Right? Which is kind of like Yogananda's message, yes. self-realization. I mean, the organization is called Self-Realization Fellowship. That like you have no idea what beauty and grace there is within within you and mm. you know, go for it, you know, go for that search. So so that is a connection of you, That's Steve. Cool. You know? That's very cool. Yeah. It's a beautiful yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I love this. Um Man, this is inspiring. I'm really excited about your book, Inner Mastery, Outer Impact, How Your Five Core Energies Hold the Keys to Success. Make sure you guys get a, a copy or two, give it to a friend, check this out. Some great stories, great lessons, and wisdom uh, from, from your entire life, but you're also your research and, and all the different things you do. So very inspiring. Um, I got a couple, a couple of final questions, but before I ask them, where can we go to connect with you? Where can we get the book? You know, what, how can we learn more about you specifically and what you're up to? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Louis. Um, so there is my website, hitendra.com. So that's just my first name, H-I-T-E-N-D-R-A.com. And I have newsletter articles. I have a newsletter you can sign up for there. Uh, and so that's my most immediate offering, you know, to us. If you're drawn to doing something as an organization, then I offer you two pathways. There is my institute called Mentora Institute. And we have taken this as the foundation and built a leadership and culture curriculum mm, on this cool. to help advance purpose, people, and performance, you know, for organizations in these kind of crazy and changing and hard times. And so as an organization or a team, if you're drawn to it, then I would encourage you to consider that. And then we have Mentora Foundation. It's a nonprofit I've started recently with the goal of addressing some of the angst and, you know, struggles that we are all facing in society today, you know, collectively by helping develop a global fellowship you know, mm. of change makers. Mm -hmm. People who'd be deeply committed to building not just a prosperous world you know, on the outside, but also a principled world on the inside. That's cool. By strengthening the moral and mental and social fibers you know, in the world, starting with changing their own selves. Yes. And so we have launched a youth fellowship you know, at present, a fully funded um, program for college youth who are qualified and committed and uh, just, you know, went through the first uh, cohort of that uh, six week kind of immersive journey in New York, uh, which then is followed up by a year long kind of uh, additional touch because I really want to help them connect, grow, develop, and then ultimately become like lifelong, lifelong wow. fellows. And so, you know, send out a prayer, you know, for, for the foundation, because my hope and aspiration in the future is that we can help create maybe the next generation growth scholarship or something, wow, something cool. which will be coveted, you know, around the world and can help develop people mm -hmm. based on the latest understanding we have today of what it takes to bring thoughtful, strategic, loving, caring kind of change, you know, in the sure, world. Sure, sure. That's beautiful, man. And you're in the book they can get it on Amazon or any bookstore or at your website, right? Yes, exactly. It's available okay. everywhere. Um, you know, certainly on Amazon and and the the usual, you know, yes, online, usual places. Offline bookstores, yeah. 
you're getting more active on social media, I saw recently, right? You're starting to put some content out there. What's your main platform of choice that you're using the most? Yeah, I, I have to say that, you know, again, I'm a huge admirer of you and, and those of you ilk who have fully embraced this medium. <laughs> In my case, it, it's still like a stepwise journey, but certainly sure. LinkedIn is one platform okay, cool. I'm reactive on. Instagram is another one that I'm okay. reactive on. I certainly would encourage any or all of us, if you're drawn yes. to this work, to come and sign up and, yeah, be part of... Uh, you know, this kindred family, you know, again, I Perfect. think they get so much from you, but if you're drawn to more, then I'd be honored to have I love them. it. I love yeah. it. Uh, this is a question I ask everyone at the end called the three truths. So imagine hypothetically, it's your last day on earth, many years away. Yeah. You live as long as you want, but you've got to turn off the lights in this physical world. Mm. And um, you accomplish everything you want in this world. Yeah. But for whatever reason, you've got to take all of your work with you. So your book, your messages, your content, you know, your lectures, it's all gone for whatever reason. Hypothetical. Yeah. But you get to leave behind three things you know to be true, three, three lessons you would share with the world. And this is all we would have access to. Yeah. What would be those three truths that you would leave behind? Yeah. The first would be a sense of unity. We are all one family. You know, we're living in a time today where we are starting to get very drawn to wanting to affirm and assert, you know, different identities and intersecting identities. And I would offer, while I really respect and admire the opportunity there for us to give voice, you know, at times to certain identities that have in the past been marginalized, there's also a lot of value in seeing us all as part of just the one, one identity. And it's not even to me just a human identity. It's the universe, it's creation, it's life, which throbs as much in a plant as it does in you and me and how can we feel that sense of unity with mm -hmm. everything, with mm -hmm. everything, with everything. So that's my first. The second would be harmony. That um, imagine that there is some invisible creative conductor out there and you and I are all part of the symphony, you know, and we are meant to strike our note, you know, and when the moment comes mm -hmm. and then pause, when the moment comes and retire, when the moment comes and each of us has our role to play, but there is the capacity for incredible harmony in yes. the universe if we can just open ourselves up to that idea that uh, we're all part of some incredible symphony and with some amazing conductor, you know, in the background in the universe, whispering and guiding us to do our part. You know? mm -hmm. And then the third is just um, discovery, you know, the idea that, wow, like there's so much the government doesn't know. There's so much <laughs> the science doesn't know. There's so much that... My friends don't know. There's so much that I don't know that still needs to be engaged on, connected with. You know, how do you how do you really inspire the human spirit? Mm -hmm. How do you build bridges with uh, people you consider yourself, you know, as your enemies? Yes. You know? how, how do you overcome like you know impossible health issues that come up? You know, how do you, do you truly have to only engage with the knowledge of your present times and your fraternity and? those that you consort with? Or is it possible there is much, much, much more to the universe? Yeah. And so always living with that state of intrigue and discovery, which you have so beautifully shared, mm. has been so much part of your DNA. So yeah, yeah. I'm just so grateful for this opportunity to be here in this space with you, Lewis. Yeah, uh, even if this was just a conversation between you and me and nobody was going to listen. <laughs> like for me, this would have been tremendously fulfilling. Yeah. Uh, the fact that beyond you and me, there is... Uh, you know, all your followers who may perhaps, you know, get, get something of value. Of course. From this is just a great honor. I got a lot of value. And I want to acknowledge you, Hitendra, for your your energy of putting out these five core energies. And I think uh, you've gone through different transformations in your life to get here. We were talking about different health challenges you had before off camera. 
and to see you continue to dive inward to, to realize what's possible in a harmonious, unifying way and to share it in a, in a, in a platform, business school, that necessarily wouldn't be thinking about these things, where I feel like yeah. that's where the place people need it the most yeah. is to make sure that they are grounded in their mission and their purpose when they go out and build businesses. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people are focused on how do I make more money without the meaning and the mission and the purpose yeah. The love behind it. Yeah. And so for you to talk about this in a business setting and for entrepreneurs, I think it's really powerful. And I acknowledge you for, for bringing this wisdom to all yeah. of us. Yeah. No, th th thank you for saying that. Look, I, I also have to say I have tremendous regard for the business world. Yeah. Tremendous regard for the discipline that it takes to succeed in that kind yeah. of competitive environment. I think capitalism has generated a lot of positive goods in the world that you and I, we all beneficiaries of and consume and engage with. And, um, you know, other arenas of, of the world can absolutely benefit from some of those um, just like, yeah, learnings and skills and functional mastery that, you know, business yeah. attains. And even Yogananda, when he came to the United States in 1920, you know, he looked around and he saw some of these like selfless karma yogi kind of people doing for the sake of, you know, kind of advancing a certain material cause in the world. And he said like many of them are actually like just yogis, you know, sure. acting out something, you know, in the world. As long as you do it from a place not of greed, right. you know, but of manifesting something beautiful in the world. Yeah. So I, I have tremendous, you know, respect and appreciation for America and for the way capitalism and business has, in its best face of that, really helped make the world so much more yeah. comfortable and rewarding for all mm. of us. And to be able to serve that community and all that through what I'm bringing to help, um, you know, fill in the core, I think mm -hmm. is... Uh, Something and definitely, as you have rightly pointed out, mission driven about. But yeah. but again, thank you very much. You're welcome. Yeah. yeah. Final question: What's your definition of greatness? Letting your inner core shine through in everything you do. Mm -hmm. In feeling a sense of attunement with the universe, and being therefore able to strike whatever note that grand mystical conductor out there is guiding you to moment by moment mm. until your dying breath. Mm. There you go. Tendra, thank you so much. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and it inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's episode with all the important links. And if you want weekly exclusive bonus episodes with me personally, as well as ad-free listening, then make sure to subscribe to our Greatness Plus channel exclusively on Apple Podcasts. Share this with a friend on social media and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as well. Let me know what you enjoyed about this episode episode in that review. I really love hearing feedback from you and it helps us figure out how we can support and serve you moving forward. And I want to remind you if no one has told you lately that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. 